Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 118th program in this series. In the previous message, I was at the end of John chapter 18. This was when Jesus was brought to the Roman compound. Earlier in the evening, the Romans sent out a detachment of troops from the Roman compound to arrest Jesus for the accusation of sedition. Most likely it was the accusation of sedition. There would have to be an accusation against Roman law, and Judas was the person who was given the responsibility of accusing Jesus of something, and so this is probably what it was. But regardless, there was a detachment of troops that were sent out to arrest Jesus. They did arrest him, but they did not bring him to the Roman compound. Eventually, throughout the evening after the trial at the home of Annas and the trial at the home of Caiaphas, the people then take Jesus to the Roman compound. The Roman soldiers did not bring him to the Roman compound, but now the people have brought him to the compound, and they are declaring that Jesus is an evildoer, that he has committed some kind of violation against Roman law, and they are demanding that the Romans do something to punish, to hurt, to execute Jesus. Now, Pilate went out to the people, and he asked them, What has this person done? And they would not give him an answer, not a legitimate one. They would not explain to him what was the crime that Jesus committed that would justify some kind of a trial. They would not give him a legitimate answer. They told him he has violated our law, and according to our law, he should be put to death. But the Romans did not allow the Jews to put anyone to death. This was part of the reorganization when the Romans took power after the Hasmonean civil wars, that the Romans allowed the Jews to make many decisions, to have leadership, to resolve conflicts. However, they did not allow anyone to put anyone to death. There were to be no executions. The Romans retained that authority for themselves. So Pilate told them to go and judge him according to their own law, and they said, well, we can't really do what we want to do, so we're asking you to do it for us. But Pilate is not going to execute Jesus because of the Jewish law. He will only do executions according to Roman law. And Jesus has not violated Roman law. Now, in verse 36, Jesus does say, that he is a king. He does say this. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, 
And for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king? And he says, yes, but he also said that he is not a king of this world, that his kingdom, that's in verse 36, his kingdom is not of this world. If it was, his servants would fight for him. But it's not. So what he is saying, in effect, is that, yeah, he's a king, but he's from out of town. His kingdom is not there. There is no conflict. He is not asserting sedition. He is not claiming that he's going to take over the region, that he is going to be the king over the region and kick out the Romans or wage war against the Romans. That's not what he's going to do because... So what if he's a king? He's a king of a kingdom that's somewhere else. So we got a king in our midst. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that he observes Roman law while he's there in the Roman territory. That's all that matters as long as he does that. So what if he's a king? Big deal. It doesn't matter. So the issue of him being a king is of no relevance to Pilate at all. So this subject of him being a king is over. There is nothing left to talk about except, of course, this new subject that Jesus has presented, the truth. Jesus said, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. That's the end of verse 37. Well, this is something that Pilate can respond to. Pilate cannot respond effectively or for any reason to this idea that Jesus is a king when Jesus says that he is a king, but his kingdom is not from around here and his servants are not around here. There isn't going to be a fight. So in verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? It wasn't exactly a question. It was more of a statement than a question, but he cast it in the form of a question. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. There is no fault. Even if there's going to be a discussion about what is truth, that doesn't matter either. That has no relevance to Roman law with regards to whether or not Jesus should be executed. So Pilate goes out and he lets everybody know, I don't see anything wrong here. I don't see what this guy has done. You won't tell me what he has done to justify this. I've asked him some questions, and and I don't see any reason why he should be here. So, Pilate introduces the annual release of a prisoner in verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And he's referring to Jesus as the king of the Jews, which is an abstraction to suggest that he is a king of this area, of these people. But Jesus just said that he's not a king of this world. And so it is a statement that suggests that maybe they will recognize Jesus as a king. Maybe then there will be something to talk about. But this is the opportunity for Jesus to be released. For Pilate to release a prisoner in this way once a year, what this would really represent 
is the idea that on occasion someone might be held by the Romans for illegitimate reasons. The person may be held by the Romans, he may be imprisoned, or he may be waiting trial, and he might not really have done anything wrong. But the fact is, is that every legal system, every judicial system has got its challenges and its difficulties, and there can be circumstances when a person who is wrongfully accused is going to be punished, or they would be imprisoned for reasons that they shouldn't be imprisoned for, or they may very well be guilty of nothing, and yet they were put on trial and a guilty verdict was given. Now, considering that the Romans were a foreign entity that were ruling over the region and were governing the land, this would be a way to try and maintain some sense of civility between the two different communities, between the community of the Jews and the community of the Romans, to try to maintain some kind of civility and to recognize that the system is not going to be perfect. So this is a way to say, listen, we understand that we as the Romans, they could suggest it in this capacity, are not going to be perfect. We are probably going to make some mistakes. And so this is one of the ways that we can try to maintain the peace in the community. One way to try to maintain the peace, maintain the harmony that whatever, whatever the situation is, whatever has happened, whoever is in our custody, you people can ask for one person. So who are they going to ask for? They're going to most likely ask for the person who shouldn't be there. The person who probably didn't do anything wrong. The person who is a victim of an imperfect judicial system. This is who they would ask for. And once a year on the Passover, there was this tradition at this time that the leadership of the people, that the people in general, could request that someone be released. And it was understood that they would be looking to release someone who should be released. And Pilate goes out and he says, here's a guy that you just brought here, Jesus, who shouldn't be here. You don't have an accusation against him. I don't see anything that's wrong with this guy. I can't present an accusation against him. He has confessed to no crime against Roman law. And so this is the perfect guy to release. This is the time. This is the day. Here we are. Do you want me to release this guy? And they say, no. Again, in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. This guy was a thief. He was stealing from people, taking things from people, possibly by force, that did not belong to him. He belongs there. He belongs in the custody of the Romans. And it appears that on occasion, they executed thieves, considered the thief on the cross next to Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, he was a thief. So Barabbas is a thief. Barabbas would most likely be crucified, just like the other thieves that were there with Jesus on the cross. And they say, we want this guy. We want the guy who should be crucified instead 
of the guy who should not be crucified. We want him to be crucified. We want Jesus to be murdered, and yet we want Barabbas to go free, when Barabbas should probably be the one who is severely punished, and Jesus has done nothing to justify any punishment whatsoever. That's what's happened. That is what these people decide. Now, as I explained in the previous message, this is not just some kind of Jewish thing. There are people all over the world who have been alive all throughout the centuries. There are people who are alive like this today, who I know personally, who absolutely would participate in something like this. I've had people in my life who have related to me in this way, who have gone through great effort to try to cause me harm for no legitimate reason other than similar reasons as to why these people were after Jesus. Similar reasons such as I have told the truth and I made someone uncomfortable or I exposed who they really were and what they were really about and the nature of their character as they were already displaying it. All I did was state what was self-evident, what was present, what was already before everyone to see. And because of that, because I would not cooperate in someone's distortion of reality that they wanted everyone to follow along with, because of that, they have to use every means possible, every means imaginable to create conflict and harm just to hurt me, as if it is a form of public service. They may, or in some cases they did, benefit from causing harm. But look at these people here who are being violent against Jesus. What are they going to get out of this? What is going to be their benefit? They don't have anything to gain by Jesus being executed. They have nothing to gain. What are they doing this for? They are doing it because they are violent people who, when they are given the opportunity To do something like this to somebody else, they will take it. And that's what you will see, is that you do not see this happen so often because there are not very many opportunities to cause harm in this way to other people. But when people get these kind of opportunities, they will jump all over these opportunities, even though they will have nothing to gain. They also will have nothing to lose. If Jesus is released, what do these people lose? What is the consequence to these people? What will the punishment be for these people who wrongfully, forcibly took Jesus over here to the Romans and gave him over to the Roman soldiers to be put on trial over there? What are they going to experience as a consequence for this kind of behavior? And the answer is nothing. So they really have nothing to lose. All they have to gain is this sense of power, this sense of authority, this sense of influence. For some people, and I have known people like this, doing things like this is a way of experiencing fun. That's the word. That's the word that people have used on me, that to do this to me, to do this to other people, is fun. It is their form of recreation when they can find an opportunity to engage 
in situations and in circumstances like this. These kinds of people are horrific, evil, wicked people. And yet they present themselves as if they're doing something good. As if they're doing something for the public. You know, we're doing this because the Romans might get upset and they might take away our place and our nation. They may decide to overthrow things a little bit. They might replace people. They might create discomfort in the land or whatever because this person might end up leading them in this direction or inspiring them to do this. It's a form of public service, you know, because this guy is telling people things that aren't true and there are people who are believing this. And so we need to protect these people from this kind of a deceiver, from this manipulator, from this dishonest person. We have to we have to protect the public. This is an act of public service and we're using time out of our lives to find this dishonest way of causing harm to somebody else for the people. This is the way that a lot of people are. And if you don't have people like this in your life, good for you. But you know what? You might have a few people who if they were given the opportunity to do this, they would. If they could and they could get away with it, you know, it wouldn't cost them anything for participating in something like this. You know, if it works out, great. They they caused harm to someone. And if it doesn't work out, yeah, they just go back to their regular daily lives. And the only difference that may exist between these people and others who you know is just the opportunity. So what is Pilate going to do now? What is he going to do? He releases Barabbas, I'm sure. And then he's got Jesus there in his compound. So in chapter 19, verse 1, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That's what he does. He whips him and tears his flesh apart. That's what he does. And in verse 2, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. All right, so he brings him out, severely beaten, scourged. They've placed a crown of thorns onto his head, which means that these thorns are sticking into his head. And Pilate makes the announcement that there is nothing wrong with this guy, that he finds no fault in him whatsoever. Now, you could perhaps put this in the classification of torture to say, look, I have beaten and tortured this guy. I have abused him excessively. If he did something wrong, all he had to do was admit that he did something wrong and we would just stop this and we would proceed with the trial and then whatever the punishment would be, it would be executed promptly. We would not have to go through this whole prolonged experience of tearing his flesh apart and beating him up and all this other kind of stuff that we're doing, probably for fun. So he brings him out and he shows Jesus to the people and says, look what I did to this guy. I did this to him and I find no fault in him. It's another way of also saying, we did this to him and he did not deserve it. You see? 
He has done nothing wrong at all. And look at what we did to him. You all take a good look. Take a good look at what we did to this guy who you brought. We tried very hard to find out what he has done wrong and you wouldn't tell us. We repeatedly tried to get you to take him out of here and judge him according to your own law or let him go or whatever. So now we went ahead and we beat this guy up brutally. Are you now satisfied? All of you people who brought him over here for no legitimate reason, just because you're a bunch of violent, wicked, evil people who see an opportunity to really hurt someone and you take it. This is what you've done. You've taken the opportunity. So here he is. There you go. We have brutally beat this guy up. He's been beaten up. We've ripped his flesh through scourging. And we've mocked him excessively. Is this good enough for you? Can you feel the sense of success? Can you feel satisfied? Can you feel that you have accomplished something? Do you have adequate revenge for what you think he has done to you wrongfully, supposedly wrongfully? Maybe, maybe he did something, but you know, maybe there was a good reason and maybe it's legitimate. But either way, do you feel that this is enough? You know, I mean, has he suffered more than you have somehow suffered? Is this adequate? And they say, no. In verse 5, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. What's he saying? He's saying, look, there is no reason for this guy to be executed. You want him crucified? You go ahead and do it. Now, this is not an invitation for them to just go do this. If they try to crucify him, then they will violate Roman law. They will be in violation of Roman law because they do not have the authority to do so. Pilate is not saying this to give them permission. If he did, I am confident that they would take the opportunity and just go and do it. But they don't do it, perhaps because they know better. In verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Now, this is an accusation of blasphemy, and in the Mosaic Law, there was the circumstance that's recorded in Leviticus that there was a man who cursed God, and when he cursed God, God established the law, and he said, look, he cursed me, he has violated me, therefore, he should be put to death, and if anyone commits blasphemy, then they should be put to death. Blasphemy can be better defined as declaring to be God. Jesus could be accused of blasphemy because, in effect, he declared that he was God in various ways. To declare himself to be the Son of God is a partial way to accomplish that, according to the scriptures and according to the prophets and the writings. And so this was understood that Jesus was 
asserting himself as God. Now, of course, he was. He was God manifested in the flesh. So he was not being dishonest. He was not violating the law of blasphemy because he was, in effect, telling the truth. But the difference is that he did recognize the living God as the heavenly father and that that was not him. So he was not fully violating the law of blasphemy to the extent that would be a violation of the Mosaic law because he was asserting the identity of the father as he was asserting the identity of the son. But this is not a conflict or a problem for the Romans to solve. This is not an issue for the Romans to address. So this accusation will go nowhere. This won't have any meaning at all. If they are going to somehow manipulate the situation or convince Pilate to perform a crucifixion, it's going to have to be under different conditions and under different circumstances. And that is what transpires after this as we continue into John chapter 19. But I will proceed with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 118th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 18, verse 36, to chapter 19, verse 7, and I was explaining the conversation that was taking place between Pilate and Jesus with regards to him being a king. Jesus explained to Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world and that his servants were not here, otherwise they would fight for him. But that is not going to take place. So what Jesus did was that he explained to Pilate that he was not there for the purpose of being involved in sedition against the Romans. I also explained the conversation that took place between the Jews and Pilate with regards to who would be released, and that normally someone would be released who shouldn't be held by the Romans anyway. But in this case, they asked for someone who should have been held by the Romans. I also explained the scourging and the beating of Jesus, but I will speak about this more in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.